0: We love Chris, and Chris, by the way, for those of you that don't know, I did mention him in the, in the newsletter this week, I believe, yes? Um, when he's not on stage, he's up working with Dave to keep the the video and the audio and the internet all going, so we appreciate that very much. And of course, we yes, yes. And of course, we now have percussionists, we've got French horn players, we've got uh, guitar players and, and violinists. Uh, our, uh, sorry? It's, it's a cast of thousands. is what Gwen said. I had to ask once again because I don't speak Tennesseean fluently, but if Eventually, I do get it some some hard words need to be said and this is this is I want you to share this with friends that have been hurt I want you to click subscribe and you know hit the bell But I want you to also share this with people. I want you to check in online We are here for many reasons. We're here to spread. The the story of Jesus is the main one. And we're here to cross all borders. uh, Borders that we know some of you are watching in countries where you would be in big trouble if they caught you watching. And we pray for you. We know this. We know others are here because during COVID, their fellowship communities were broken. Uh, Many churches have closed, never to open again. Others are opening, but really struggling to maintain big elaborate structures and big elaborate programs. so we created this, or God did, and shoved us into it, a way for people to worship. Uh, An example, Uh, there's a, a house church in Spokane Washington that reached out and said is there ever a chance we could get you up here the the local church even wants you to speak there and then us and I said yes and started arranging I said I could visit your house church on this day and speak at your church this day and I got a thing back well there are three house churches in Spokane we had no idea you know, uh, and and that's the way it has been going. It showed up in a function for GraceWorks this week, and as they were directing us where to park, a man that I don't remember ever meeting, uh, I walked up to him to find what door to enter, and he he looked, and he goes, I see you on TV, and my first thought, I was going through cops. I was going through 48 hours. You know, I had to sort through all of that, and he said, you're a pastor. You're a great pastor. That church is, here's the thing. I still don't think of myself as a pastor or a preacher. I'm just a scientist that kind of life took into a dark room and beat about the head and shoulders several times. And God had to teach me by dragging me up and down stairs. But I just want to tell people about the Jesus I found in all of these things. And so I find myself now leading a church which is full of people that churches rejected or hurt Or left or they're just not around and God then hits a reset button and we get our safe harbor and I'm so honored to be a part of it but I've already I've already talked to uh, to uh, Nico over there and saying all right um, I need you to be in a slot get ready to take it over because you know my advanced age you know who knows what's going to happen to me I I could be I could be um, raptured except I don't believe in that so That would be problematic on the way up. I would probably be arguing with God about why didn't you make this much more plain. Anyway, the point is, we want this to survive us. But to get, for this church to survive and for you to survive and for faith to survive in places like Ukraine or in Iraq where Iran fired more than a dozen missiles into Erbil, which is a U.S. air base last night. Sometimes I think people just want World War III so bad that they can't stand it. What do we do? What do we do with churches? And to be very blunt, what do we do with church leaders? John 9. John John 9 is a fascinating study in theology, psychology, and sociology. And it makes it one of the most fascinating chapters in a very fascinating book. It starts with a fascinating question which is the way you would do if you're a fascinating chapter. John chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. As he went along, this is Jesus, he saw a blind man, a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You and I read this and we go, what? But no, no, that was was normal. In Jesus' day, religious leaders taught that Exodus 34 and verse 7, that the sins of the fathers will be visited upon the third and the fourth generations uh, was literal and that it explains suffering. Why do some people suffer? Born to the wrong family. Somebody must have done something wrong and so that's why you suffer. There are religions that still teach this if you ever go into india and you see the beggars on the streets and you're wondering well why is it aren't people helping each other it's actually against their religion they feel like no they've got to work out their suffering or they're going to be born right back into it you know they're going to be reincarnated right back where they were or worse so no we don't help them well, there are religions like that and this was going that direction they were going no no we don't help them this is a blind person obviously he sent or somebody else sent now how could he send when he was blind from birth believe it or not the religious leaders at the time said it was possible for a fetus to send to um i'm not i do not have a list of how they figured that out but they said yeah you can be, in your prenatal pre-existent state even before you entered your mother's womb out in the ethos somewhere in the um out in the atmosphere you might have done something wrong had a bad thought jesus dismissed this entirely he says neither this man nor his parents sinned now think about that immediately here's this big thousand year old doctrine and i'm exaggerating a bit there but not too much And Jesus doesn't say, let me deconstruct all this for you. He just goes, no, no, neither. And by the way, Jesus does that with a lot of long-held doctrinal ideas pushed by the religious leaders. Jesus says, no, this is an opportunity to show the work of the grace of God. Think about this. Notice something. The apostles treated this person as a theological problem. Not a person. They didn't see blind man. Let's help. They said they saw blind man. This is a theological issue. Who sinned? So we know where to, to, uh, to append the blame. What would it be like if we didn't do that? Instead of why does God allow people to be hungry? Our response is, oh, there's a hungry person. Let's feed them. What if our response was different? No karma, no cosmic balance. Jesus just calls us to personal action. Do what you see to do. And he doesn't wait. In fact, he even says this. He'll talk about day is limited, night is coming, while it's day, do the work. We taught this to our kids time and time again. That if the teacher said your book report was due in a week, you don't have a week, because you don't know what's going to happen in your life. You don't know what emergencies, what illnesses, what other things will hit, what other homework will be given, you have today to get that done. Jesus, we got it from Jesus. We cribbed a lot of stuff from Jesus, frankly. and and in fact, I still I, I plagiarize uh, four guys that wrote these books a long time ago every Sunday. Jesus doesn't wait. He says, no, you cannot wait. The time comes when you cannot work. He knows his time is limited. So he teaches the apostles that seeing someone in distress or with needs is a sign. Not a sign of sin to be sought out and sourced. But of an opportunity to show grace and love. Churches, we got to get that. And he uses, as we talked about last week, spit and ceremony and tells him to bathe in the pool of Siloam. But he never expressly says, read that chapter, he never expressly says why or that healing was even a possibility. He never brings that up. He just gets the guy mud-coated eyes and gets him away. The man may have overheard something about healing, but it's not mentioned here. When the man goes and washes off the mud, he causes a sensation. Verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging ask, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. By the way, the human capacity to lie to themselves, to make, them, make, make sure they're not troubled in any of their assumptions is limitless to immediately rationalize and move boxes around it's limitless so here they're saying we live next to this guy all of his life isn't that the blind guys and others are going I don't think it can be because that guy can see that's what humans do and I got to tell you right now I don't know when we'll ever figure this out you don't win arguments on, on the internet you don't because facts won't help you relationships and stories help but facts don't so let's um carry on here others said no 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 um that can't be him and by the way that's a very very important passage to know because one of the things that atheists say a lot richard dawkins uh, sam harris uh, daniel Demet, they say a lot they'll say well of course they thought they were miracles back then because people believed in miracles back then people believed in as carl sagan put it a demon haunted world that is just full of the and the people just assumed they didn't have a concept of germ theory that's correct uh they didn't have a concept of this other so they just um you know people said it was a miracle it looked like a miracle so they said it was a no people were skeptical back then too they had seen a lot of charlatans they'd seen a lot of traveling healers by this stage a lot of traveling exorcisms do you remember that in the book of acts when the traveling exorcists uh, were coming through and one of them you know watched paul work pretty good so he said in the name of the you know the god of paul come out demon looked at him and goes i know paul and i know you or i know god but yeah you know, I, you know, I got you yeah you know, in other words you don't have the right to do this you have the power The the skeptic of the time, they'd they'd seen that. So they wanted to find, all right, who's the guy that dead this? Who made him able to see? But he wasn't anywhere near Jesus. And not to really trying to be comical here is, he couldn't have known where Jesus was because he couldn't see. Jesus had gotten him far away before he saw. So he says, I don't know where he is. Well, this was very distressing to the community. Uh, Again, was he begging, lying? all this time just getting money and all the other who knows so they brought him to the pharisees why well because there is no difference between political life business life community life and religion they're all intertwined now they still are for example in islam and that's why uh, people in the west look upon islam as a as a greater threat than let's say hinduism because um islam says not only must you have this religion this religion includes every step of your government every aspect of your government the jewish people felt that as well they felt oh something something is wrong here we got we got to go to those who speak for god so that they can interpret all the signs because they they're the ones who do and they'll they'll tell us what's going on so john chapter 9 starting in verse 13 and they brought to the pharisees the man who had been blind Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eye was a Sabbath. All right, if the Bible came with sound effects, at that point it would go, dun, dun, dun. And those of us that use subtitles, it would have foreboding music. I actually wish I just kept a catalog of all the descriptions of music on the subtitles. But anyway, therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied. And I washed, and now I see. He didn't say it, but basically, end of story. That's all I've got. Some of the Pharisees say, well, this man's not from God. Why? He, he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Oh. Others said, well, how can a sinner do these signs? And so they were divided. Church people, I was raised that way. I remember my entire early life was filled with these questions. I was told in no uncertain terms that Mother Teresa, who probably loved God and poor people more than I ever will, were, I was told she had zero chance of salvation. She's Catholic. She wasn't one of us. I can remember, and it wasn't just Catholics, by the way, equal opportunity offenders. You know, it, it, If they were not of us, they had zero chance, zero, period. And we didn't have the courage to say that out loud when people would say, are you saying my mama is in hell? We'd be going, well, it's not for us to say. But we really said that. And we really knew it, and we were being hypocrites. And it chills me to the bone now that I remember once when I was a teenager and I was in Paris at, um, in, in the cathedral, Notre Dame. They actually have more than one, but Notre Dame and standing there very quiet there were no tour groups around and down one of the the long halls i'm not going to give all the the titles there was a mass being done for a small family there that had gathered probably a funeral mass or a, a mass for illness and i heard my father was there and my father quoted you know many shall say unto me in that day lord lord did we not prophesy in thy name and then i named do miracles and do many mighty works and he'll say depart from me i never knew you that was our attitude They had nothing, no chance. We insisted that God had a very distinct, well-defined set of rules, and we had to stay within those guardrails to have any chance of escaping an eternity in hell because religious people told us so. That no matter what good these people did, it was nullified, just like Jesus, because he he didn't keep the Sabbath. So he's not from God. He gave you your eyes, but you should feel guilty about it. And we might have to throw you out of the... the, um, the entire synagogue, and you can't go to the temple because we just don't like your story. Note once again, the apostles dismissed the person and saw a problem. The Pharisees saw a problem and dismissed the person. You get that? He does not fit within our mind polity, the way our mind is set up. He does not fit within our presuppositions and our attitudes, and what we've been told, therefore he is an outlier, a unicorn, he's over there. We don't accept this. Because the theology, the system has to be protected at all cost, including the cost of humans, broken, families split, churches divided. We've been through it. Many of you have been through it because you email me. I started answering emails yesterday at seven in the morning seven at night i was still answering them and i looked at my wife and i said you know the fun thing is well i'm answering them i'm looking at more showing up it's um it's i'm out there shoveling the waves back into the ocean basically and by the way still email that's not i'm not a complaint that's not a complaint i am a complainer but that's not one of them uh it's it's what i do i'm fine with doing that but the farce continues look at look at this verse 17 through 23 they turned again to the blind man what do you have to say about him it's your eyes he opened it's your fault he goes he's he's a prophet in other words he's he's a good man of God among the people they still did not believe that he'd been blind what what does that require what level of denial well, I see it every day in people. And again, on the internet, but you also see it in people's lives. Yeah, in denial. So, they, they call for his parents. Is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he now can see? <laughs> he told them the story. It was a short story. A guy spat put mud on my face, washed it off, I can see that's it, there's no plot line, no car chase, that's it, well, then they go, "Um, we know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know, ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself, his parents said this, because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, you ever been afraid to say something, think something, You ever been afraid to ask a question? You ever been afraid to wonder about God and Bible and scripture and the like? But no, you had no way to ask that was safe. John 9's in here for you. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided. Already had decided. Mm. Did you ever catch that before? That anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That's why he said, they said he, he, he's, he's of age. Ask him. It, it's a farce. It's just an absolute farce. As if a person could be pretending he was blind all of his life for those amazing alms you'd get. Then John chapter 9, 24 through 34. Yeah, yeah. A second time they summoned a man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man's a sinner. In other words, say the words we want to say. Say them in a way we want them said. Say them when we want them said. And then you will please God. Does that sound like every church you know? Not all of them. Not all of them. I don't want to use that big paintbrush because I happen to think that most Christians are amazing, wonderful people. And that many churches are trying their best to be good. But church leaders are often well behind the congregation. The congregation's moved on. It, I know that in my, the congregations and tribe in which I was raised, that the younger people, as in anybody under 60, didn't care about instrumental music. Wasn't upset about the voices of women. At, well, to you know, divorce people, they might have a chance. You know that sort of thing. And yet the leaders, no, 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 no. They weren't leaders. They were dead weight. And there's no other way to put it. I used to have to drive to work by driving up 31, 31, from Spring Hill to Franklin. Now that's brutal. It's, it's not many miles. I don't know what, 11, 12, 13 miles, but it could take over an hour because it was just you had schools there you had and the only section that was 55 most people ignored it and they still drove 40 you know and you just go you know not not that i would do that but i do that (laughs) and i can remember once looking at the big long traffic in front of me and there were about 12 or 15 cars and this is not unusual held up by one slow car that was driving 15 miles under the limit and it hit me hard patrick Sometimes you might think you're a leader when all you are is a clog in the pipe. I began to think about that pretty seriously. And I did what people do. I applied it to that person before I realized I had to apply it to me. That just because you got people stacked up behind you doesn't mean you're a leader. You might be impeding their motion forward. Pretty rough. Oh, but it's... People, many churches survive by stressing their correctness and criticizing or condemning all others. There have been wars fought over whether or not the presence of Christ was literally or just metaphorically in the bread and the cup. People died. Children left orphaned. Children sold into slavery because their parents believed the wrong thing. And it's still going on jesus hears about this and he and by the way they they keep going he was a sinner and the guy goes i don't know if he's a sinner or not i don't know one thing i do know i was blind now i see then they said what did he do to you how did he open your eyes he said i've already told you you didn't listen why do you want to hear it again do you want oh this is when you see when you're in an argument make your premise and never move he moved he added to the story a question. What? You want to become his disciples too? Oh. You can see his parents going. <laughs> you got to get out of here. They, they hurled insults at him. What did the guy do? The guy hadn't done anything. You are, you, are, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Oh, I will. T- Again, most churches I don't think fall into this, but if you got church leaders like this, run, get away. They're holding you up. Jesus needs you free to do good. Um, and that's just, you don't have to run our direction. This isn't a rah rah, this is the only place to go. God has many communities, God has many places, but keep aware, keep your eyes open. You're allowed to ask questions of God. The man answered, no, Now that's remarkable you don't know where he comes from yet he opened my eyes so we got a miracle worker here and you guys don't even know who he came you're supposed to be the leaders on top of this we know that God does not listen to sinners because that's what they tell you I was told all my life no reason for sinners to pray God won't listen I, I was I was uh we know God doesn't listen to sinners he listens to the godly person who does his will well, nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not of God, he couldn't do any, he could do nothing. To this they replied, "You were steeped in sin at birth." Oh, we've come back to that. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Did you know what John nine was all about? By the way, Jesus finds out. Let's go listen to him. I like him better. Verse thirty-five. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. When he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he? The guy said, tell me so I may believe in him. Jesus said, you've now seen him. So a we'll little play on words because he's, yeah, you've now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I've come into this world so that the blind will see. And those who see will become blind. You saw how these men's doctrine blinded them to God working. Blinded them to opportunity. Blinded them to the personhood of the person. Instead, looking at them as a problem. Or a theological issue. I'll never forget one of the first emails I got. We were only a couple months in. And, and the email was not from a bad person. It wasn't sharp. It wasn't, they said, are you, are you going to let any?" you know, gay people in your church. I said, I don't know who's watching. And I'm not at the gates. I said, I guarantee you, we've got gay people in the church. All through the community. LBGTQ. We've got them. Doesn't mean we know them. And we also have people who have every single different theological idea about that. From okay to horrific. Because our doors are open. We're going to let God sort this out we're not here to judge these things and i wish this story would be so much better if i'd been there but i wasn't i had to get this secondhand. a friend of mine went to a citywide gathering this was about 15 20 years ago when the lgbtq community was just kind of bumping up against the church now and what does the church do and so they were meeting the conservative churches not just one denomination it was Uh, basically the the more conservative protestant churches in the area about what to do how to handle this and sometime during the process you know what to do with this problem one young man stood up and he said my name is mark and i'm not a problem i'm a person no matter what you believe no matter where your stand is on this that should make you stop and think should make you pause and make you remember John 9 because they believed any doctrinal error meant you were not of God and they defined what the error was. Let's be careful. All of this, we're going to cut away from this scene now, by the way. Uh, Oh, yeah, I've got to do this. Uh, He says, some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and said, what, are we blind too? He said, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty at all. And now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. In other words, it would been better for you if you were blind. Because your eyes are open, and look what you're doing with them. Jesus didn't always carry a lamb. <laughs> I think he would have been inadvertently squeezing the lamb at that point. You know, little eyes bugging out of the lamb. So he didn't always carry a lamb. And those of you who think that's irreverent have not gotten the humor in Jesus. And he had a great sense of humor. We're going to cut away from this scene now because he's about to tell them about lambs and about him as a shepherd. We're going to cut away from this scene and save that one for another day. But I want to let this hang in the air, the question of the Pharisees and Jesus' response. I I get emails from both left and right demanding that I acquiesce, that I pull back, that I accept the wisdom of people that believe this or believe that. And when I ask where they got that and where they got that, that Monday thing, It gets very muddy and always, always, always comes back to, if you believe this or you accept this, there are consequences. Or whenever I say, well, this passage in this book, you think we're blind? Do you think we haven't read books? Okay. You know what? There's a delete button on my keyboard. I had it especially installed, he said, lying. They come standard. They're right there. I don't have to deal with it. We are entering an impossible season. While war rages and missiles fly across borders, will we believe our eyes? Will we accept the eyewitness testimony of people who were not expecting Jesus to come back? And he did. Who did not change their story even when being tortured, imprisoned, killed. When Jesus heals us and forgives us, will we believe him? Or will we allow something in our head to say, I don't think so. You know, Jesus' death was good enough for everybody else, but you did that sin, so no, not for you. As As if your sin is greater than our God. As if God's in heaven going, oh, we didn't even think of that. He's God. Will you believe the story? When Jesus heals us and forgives us when he shows us grace will we believe as God as Jesus believed that God is a God of love who loves us and who is not interested in church fights or discussions did you notice how he just kind of went no none of that he didn't argue religion with the Samaritan woman What Later when the apostle says that now that we ride into Jerusalem, he said, you know, it's not really given to you to understand all the dates at this point. He just kind of we'll we'll talk later, guys. They still didn't understand why he was even there and he wasn't going to fight them because he didn't see them as a problem. He saw them as people. Misha, would you bring your team up? And as you do, I'm going to step forward and try to be out of the way. Dave, is it okay if I step down? Thank you. Dave would like for me to step down any Sunday. (laughs) There's good television on. Which, of course, we know there isn't. Um, Jesus came to end the chains of sin, but also the chains put on us by religious leaders, by politicians, and by the mob. Whether it's online or in person. You are free in Christ because he said so. Will you believe your own eyes?